Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me once again. My name is Noel Cruz, and this is another episode of So Have You Seen. As always, I want to take time and thank each and every one of you for listening into the podcast. I hope you've been enjoying it thus far. Uh, we're doing something a little different today, a little special, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, today, we are going to focus on the first episode of what I would like to introduce as the Superhero Showcase. Generally, what I hope to do with this type of format is I want to focus on one particular superhero. It uh, could be anyone, and just kind of talk about their history, talk about their influence in pop culture, in motion pictures, you know, everything from the creators to the mediums that they've impacted. And why, why we love them, why, why they are our favorites, why some of them are even, um, you know, just timeless and iconic that have, you know, been around for almost 100 years for, for some characters that are, that are getting to reach that milestone. So I was hoping that we could discuss my personal favorite superhero on this uh, landmark episode, um, and if you guys have a hero you want me to discuss or showcase, please feel free and send me, you know, who you think would be worthy of a, of a full-length episode. You could drop me a line at my email. Uh, so have you seen the number one at gmail.com? So once again, the email is so have you seen number one at gmail.com. Uh, I'll be happy to address all emails sent. I will respond to them personally, and I will definitely take all of the choices into consideration. Uh, but that's what we are hoping to do here today. You can also follow me on my Instagram handle at so have you seen. Uh, there I put up some pictures, and I definitely put up a lot more information as to upcoming episodes and what I'm looking to address in the coming weeks and coming months and so on. So that being said, I'd like to start the show, um, but before I do, I want to take a moment to uh, address uh, a terrible loss that occurred this past weekend um, to the entertainment industry and to the world of superheroes, and, and particularly the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Regrettably, um, the young, unfulfilled talent a uh, young man by the name of Chadwick Boseman, who we all know and love as King T'Challa of the Black Panther films, has passed away. Um, Chadwick uh, succumbed to complications from colon cancer, and he died at 43 years of age. Uh, and it's it's sad, you know, it, it really is sad because he has so much promise. And so much talent. You know, I one of the things I loved about him was his smile. You know, you ever saw Chadwick Boseman smile? He had this huge, you know, this big, beautiful smile, man. And he was just talented across the board. I, I mean, as, as a testament to his talent, he, he he's, has played in such a short repertoire of characters. He has played James Brown. And I'm a huge, huge James Brown fan. He has played Thurgood Marshall, Jackie Robinson, the baseball legend, the, the man who pretty much changed the game. And, of course, King T'Challa in the Black Panther film. 
you know, and it it's it really is sad. It it really is sad, you know. It's I've had an experience firsthand with with cancer, and I see what what it can do. And it's an ugly, 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 ugly disease. And to think that this young man was diagnosed in 2016, I believe, and he made Black Panther during this time. He was in both Avenger films. And he was going, he was stage three from what uh, the reports that I had read. So he's going to chemotherapy and he's, he's battling this disease. And he never said a word to anyone. Because I, if I'm fairly accurate in what I'm about to say, I think the majority of the world was just shocked, which is why this hit so many people so hard. I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, 2020 has been one hell of a year, man. We have lost... A lot of talent, particularly black excellence with Kobe and now Chadwick Boseman. You know, these these were young men that transcended their race and and they transcended what they did. So Chadwick, rest in peace, you know, to his family. You know, my heart goes out to them. But one thing's for sure, you know, as tragic as it is that we lost him, we have him forever on film and we have him in Captain America Civil War where he showed up as King T'Challa and he he pretty much was one of the elements that made that movie to his own film, Black Panther, to Avengers Infinity War, which to me, I remember I literally, I, I screamed at the screen, like I yelled out in Avengers Infinity War when the creatures are attacking Wakanda and... T'Challa is standing there with with his army behind him, and then he's standing beside Captain America, and he's standing behind he's standing alongside uh, Black Widow. You know they're doing their chant, and you see the the aliens trying to bore through, and they're just getting ready. They're just standing their ground, and all of a sudden he screams out, "Wakanda forever!" and his helmet drops, and they start running forward. If you look at Avenger: Infinity War at that scene in particular. You're going to notice that Black Panther and Captain America, because they are enhanced, because they have, you know, the power of, I don't know what the calculation is, I think of like 50 men, they run, they outrun everybody ahead. So they're the first two that take off running and they're the first two that meet the threat and they fight side by side, which then brings that full circle in Endgame. Because at the end of that film, and it's and it's absolutely phenomenal battle. To me, I don't I don't ever think that scene will be topped. But you never know with Disney because they're just they're batting a thousand. When Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man are down, that it looks like Thanos might actually win, and Captain America stands up after taking a serious beating. He sees that Thanos has now called all of his troops to go forward and and wreak havoc and wipe everybody out. Captain America being Captain America, you know, he gets up. He doesn't care what the odds are. He is a soldier. So by definition, you're going to have to kill him to get through and achieve your victory. And at that moment, when he gets up, he hears through the radio, he hears Sam, which is the Falcon. 
And the Sam says, Cap, can you read me? This is Sam. On your left. And you see the circular light start spinning. And who's the first person through that circle? Black Panther, his sister, and his bodyguard. And Chadwick Boseman, uh, Chadwick Boseman just walks out looking beautiful, man. And all he does is nod at Captain America like, we got your back. We're here. You're not fighting this alone. That scene will never be the same for me after, you know, losing him. Knowing now what, you know, what I know, that was already a powerful scene. Now even more so when I watch it because that young man's life was taken too soon. And and just the fact that he went through all of that and he was going through chemo and he was fighting that wretched, wretched disease. He was still a hero for us because he could have walked away at any time. He could have turned around and told Disney brass, hey, said, hey, listen, I have stage three cancer. I'm sure they would have understood. You know what I mean? Maybe they would have limited his role, but he didn't say anything. And that is a testament to who he was. King Tushala, rest in power. Chadwick Boseman, rest in power. You guys will be missed. Moving on. Superhero showcase time. So as I said, this episode will be dedicated to one hero in particular. I'm hoping to do this at least maybe once a month or a couple of times a year. Uh, again, you're, uh, you know, as my listeners uh, who follow me, you know, please send me who you think I should cover. Could be a superhero, could be a series of movies. It could even be Harry Potter. I mean, you know, he's not a comic book hero, but he is sci-fi. I cover sci-fi and I'm actually a fan of the Harry Potter films. I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not a diehard Potter fan, but I, I have actually read the books. I think it's a brilliant universe and I'd be happy to cover that one day. So you guys let me know, let me know who you think I should cover. Um, but in this episode, on my first episode, we are doing my man, my favorite superhero of all time. Um, a hero that has just the longevity and and just, I, I don't know what it is particularly about this hero that the popularity and his background and his origins have, have given so much to people who have contributed to his storyline and have made him better and have just explored his universe for over 80 years. And I'm talking about the Batman. Batman holds a very special place in my heart because growing up as a kid with two older brothers, we used to watch the Batman TV show, the 1966 series. We watched it in syndication in the early to mid 80s, particularly me and my brother, Tony Cruz, who was on here last episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Don't worry if you enjoyed him and his smooth voice and his fantastic laugh. 
He'll be back for another episode, particularly Iron Man. So you'll want to listen for that one because Tony, I, I think my mother named Tony after Tony Stark. She named me Noel, I guess, because she thought I was going to be a holiday. Like, bro, Bruce never crossed your mind, mom, if you're listening. Bruce Cruz, pretty badass, but that that ship has sailed. Anyway, moving on. So the Batman. I mean, I... I there's so many places to start, but I, I guess, you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. So Batman, we're going to go back to his creator, a gentleman uh, by the name of Robert Kahn, who is better known as Bob Kane. So one of the cool things I love about Bob Kane is that he's actually a New Yorker. Uh, Bob Kane grew up in the Bronx. Where exactly? I don't know. Uh, and I've been trying to find that out, but it's a little bit kind of cryptic, you know, research is, uh, says he's grew, he grew up, you know, in Fordham. Some other places say he grew up, uh, closer to like, um, a little bit closer to the Westchester area, but it does say that it was like a suburban part of the Bronx. And, and back then the Bronx was heavy with immigrants, Jews, Italians, uh, Polish, so he grew up there. He also uh, he attended DeWitt Clinton High School, which is a school that focused primarily on the arts, um, which is where he got his drawing skill. So it was at this high school where he would meet two gentlemen who would influence him heavily, a guy named Will Eisner. Uh, Will Eisner, he's kind of known, I guess, for creating the first superhero. It's a character called the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit looks like a detective so he would wear a fedora he kind of looked like dick tracy but he was in, he was dressed in blue so he had a fedora a blue fedora a, a blue trench coat a red tie and then he had what's called a raccoon mask a raccoon mask is what they would refer to like what the lone ranger wore what robin would wear that style of mask is called a raccoon mask and he would just you know he would pretty much solve crimes and you know, it was a very interesting take on the superhero genre. I believe there was there was a, a degree of of uh, supernatural to it. Um, I'm not 100% certain because, I mean, I'm ashamed to say that I'm not well-versed in the spirit. But, hey, we could do a superhero showcase about him and we could cover his story. But moving on, Will Eisner was known for that. Uh, as a matter of fact, there is an award that's given uh, in in artistic achievement, if I'm not mistaken, or illustration. And he also met a gentleman by the name of Bill Finger. Now, Bill Finger was huge to Bob Kane because although Bob Kane created Batman, Bill Finger would pretty much bring in Batman's supporting players and he would help structure Batman's world. So Bill Finger was responsible for Robin. He was responsible for Catwoman. He was responsible for helping co-create the Penguin. But above all, Bill Finger was credited for creating the greatest supervillain of all time, the Joker. Now, with Robin, it was a situation that from the beginning of the comic books, when Batman was first created, Batman was very, very, very much a detective. So this we're talking about 1939. He appeared 
in Detective Comics number 27. So if anybody has something close to around $2 million and you want to buy the first appearance, that's it. Detective Comics number 27. Um, and he was very much just like a detective. And, you know, he would fight. He carried a gun. Batman um, had used to carry a side piece which would then later change dramatically throughout the years. And they would make him anti-gun, which was a very inspiring and and smart decision. Uh, So he was just, you know, a product of his time. You know, he was like a, like a fisticuff detective. He would just fight and throw guys. I mean, he would push guys out a window or, or, you know, a guy would fall off the roof and be like, oh, well, you know, that, that dirty criminal met his fate. So he was a little bit, intense, you know, for people who are like, oh, no, Batman never killed. Not true. Go back to his early origins, and you'll see that if he if he needed to dispatch a, an enemy, he would do so with very little uh, re- uh, reluctance. But with all things, superhero superheroes evolve. So Batman was created on the basis that Superman comics were selling like hotcakes, and they needed another another selling point. So Bob Caden came in, he pitched Batman, Detective Comics picked him up, and they ran for the series. Now, the problem that they were facing, you know, the detective stories sold well for that time. But the problem that they were facing is that with the dialogue, you know, in comic books, when you read comic books and you see the, the thought bubbles or the dialogue bubbles when people speak, the issue that they were running up against with Batman was that he thought to himself a lot. And if it's a detective story, there's going to be a lot of information and a lot of detail in these little thought bubbles. And Bill Finger was like, we have to do something about this because I can't have this guy thinking to himself or talking to himself all the time. Our readers are going to think that he's crazy. He dresses as a bat as it is. So one of the inspirations for Batman was Sherlock Holmes, which which is why they often say that Batman has a genius intellect, which he does. Um, and as a martial artist, he is like at the pinnacle. So with that inspiration of Sherlock Holmes, they're like, well, Sherlock Holmes has Watson. You know, he speaks to Watson and Watson helps him. So why don't we give Batman a sidekick? And then they created the character known as Robin. Robin would later come on, I think, in Batman issue number one. Um, Robin was a very interesting character um, because as, you know, he lost his parents as well. So there was a similarity. There was a there was a, 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 a bonding between, you know, Dick Grayson, who was Robin's alter ego, and Bruce Wayne. They both lost their parents. Um, so that kind of helped Robin propel his his fight for justice you know his parents were killed due to something gang related in the comic book so robin joins up the comics become a little lighter um and then something really strange happened around the 1940s um there was a therapist the gentleman's name escapes me and uh i'm sorry i don't have this information on hand uh but if, if you need to know who he is, I'll be happy to look it up for you. But there was, I believe, a clinical therapist who wrote a book called The Seduction of the Innocent. And this book was 
uh, completely against the comic book genre back then. It said that comic books led to delinquency. Um, this was a time also like in the early 1950s where comic books were now horror comic books. So it would show people getting beheaded and women getting murdered, uh, a lot of gangster related stuff. You know, it was a bit more adult themed. So this gentleman wrote this book on, on, on the basis that they were not healthy for kids. They didn't inspire anything good. Um, and he also stated in his book that Batman and Robin in particular were a terrible role model for children because of the underlying tone of homosexuality. You know, <laughs> it's incredible because I don't, I don't know if this man ever read a comic book in his life. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, as somebody with a degree in psychology that he probably did, but where he saw the homosexuality in it, I don't know. Uh, you know, I will admit there were some comics where, where Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne would sleep in the same bed, you know, and Robin would wake up and he'd be like, oh, good morning, Bruce, let's go have breakfast. And, you know, Bruce Wayne is like, sure, Dick, let's go get breakfast and then we'll go fix the Batmobile, you know, and they're in the same bed, they're in their pajamas. So I can kind of understand what he may have construed in his mind, but kind of knowing the characters and reading them for the majority of my life, it's a little bit absurd. But this book is the reason why they created the comic book code, which meant that there was a certain code that had to be adhered to in order for comics to go into publication. So there could be no referencing alcohol, there could be no referencing sex, drugs, unnecessary violence, unless it was like a war book, uh, like an army comic book or something along those lines. So that book changed the genre. So this was around the time where now comic books went from, you know, crime fighting and shooting and, you know, gangsters trying to kill Batman and Robin and all this other stuff to it being very, very, very campy because the publishers didn't want to risk anything. So if you notice the tone as you read Batman comics throughout the years, they get very colorful, very playful. You start getting, you know, colorful villains like the Penguin and the Riddler. You know, when the Joker came out, he wasn't playful. He was you know, the the homicidal maniac that he has always been, you know, and it's just, it, it's a really unique dynamic when, when they go to what he was when he was created to then the 1950s where he becomes much more lighthearted and much more of the gag version of the Joker where he like, you know, squirts acid or... Uh, I don't know, uses an oversized hammer, uses a gun that shoots out the word bang with a little flag. This, <clears throat> excuse me, this comic code changed that dynamic. So they, it was less aggressive, much more kid-friendly. And that went on for quite some time. And you had a lot of ludicrous books like Batman and Robin go out into Mars and they fight aliens on a planet. So it was a little bit absurd. And this started to affect sales because now adults were you know adults who had read the comics and enjoyed them during world war ii were now like oh this is kid stuff this this doesn't you know this doesn't i can't relate to this stuff a good detective story yeah but 
Batman and Robin fighting aliens in Mars. This is not for me. So the same thing had happened to Superman. He'd gotten a lot campier, a lot brighter. Uh, so they did a team up. <clears throat> they did a team up around the 19, I want to say the 19, early 50s. And again, very fantastic stories. Superman had Crypto, his little dog, join them. Um, you know, a dog with superpowers. Again, very fam- family friendly. And this went on through the 50s and into the 60s. In particular, 1966, which is the year that launched the Batman TV series, which in my opinion is one of my top 10 favorite things, just things in general, of all time. I saw them in syndication. I was born in 75, so I saw them in syndication with my brother Tony when we were kids. And my mom used to, uh, she bought me the Batman costume. Now, back in the day, in the very early 80s, and I, I, I think they still do it, I'm not sure. Um, costumes were this little plastic bodysuit, right? That you could wear over your clothes. Now, I remember I would I would get into these fights with my mother. I'm like, Mom, Batman doesn't wear clothes under his uniform. He only wears his uniform. He wears his clothes on top of it. To change. Like, I gave, I'm trying to give this woman comic book theory. And she's not having it. She's like, it's 40 degrees outside. You're going to go trick-or-treating. You're going to put on a coat. So, to me, I'm like, she just she's killing the flow. I don't look like Batman. Batman doesn't wear an Oshkosh Bigosh coat with a hood. He wears his cape. At one point, I honestly thought that my mother was Batman's greatest nemesis, but she wasn't. I, I love that woman dearly. Anyway, so 1966 comes along. You know, me and my brother dressing up the Halloween costumes. My brother Tony, who is a bit of an artist himself, made me... The costume had a utility belt in the center of the suit that was plastic. So it was painted on. And he literally created little pockets to make a utility belt. And he took uh, little boxes of like what my mother would buy nail polish. And he would turn it inside out. And then he would write bat pellets. Or Tony, I don't know if you remember this, if you're listening. Um, you know, bat gas. And he would stick it with tape onto the costume. So I could reach into it, you know, when we played. Best childhood ever, man. I'm telling you. And we would watch the show, and we loved it. Everything from the intro music to, you know, dun 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 I mean, that's universal at this point. And the show was just beautiful. Looking back on it now, they released it on, on Blu-ray a couple of years ago. And because it's in high def, you really get to see the beauty of these hand-sewn costumes and the beauty of the Batmobile. That is my number two favorite Batmobile of all time. Um, you know, Cesar Romero. Cesar Romero is the Joker. Uh, Cesar Romero, uh, for those of you who do not know, uh, he was actually a Latino. He was Mexican. Um, a phenomenal actor, a big actor in his day. Uh, he was also very proud of his mustache. He absolutely refused to shave his mustache because that was... I mean, one, it was, you know, kind of like his, his trademark as a Latino actor. And he was known, you know, for that Latino look. So he convinced 
the show's creator, a gentleman by the name of William Dozier, who was actually the narrator. So if you see the Batman cartoons and you hear that voice that goes, what's this? The Joker and Catwoman together on a crime spree. That was the man who actually created the show. He was also the narrator. Cesar Romero convinced him. He said, listen, just paint over it. Paint over my mustache. Now, looking back when I was a kid, I couldn't tell, but we also had a shitty TV that (laughs) I think it had a hanger as an antenna, so the definition was terrible. But in Blu-ray, you could clearly see it's painted over. You know, and Cesar Romero also, he had a phenomenal laugh and his smile. He didn't have perfect teeth. And they were, I don't know if they painted them slightly yellow. I do know that he was a smoker, so his teeth could have been stained from being a smoker. Back then in the 50s, people used to smoke in churches, man. It was like like a cool thing to do. So when he laughed and he had that big villainous smile, he had these like like terrible teeth. You know, and it just, it fit the part, and he was just brilliant. You had Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, who was amazing, you know. There would be another uh, actor who would portray the Riddler in season three, I believe. Um, Oh, his name escapes me, man, don't. He's, he plays Gomez in the Adams Family. Uh, I think his name is John, John, I'll figure it out. And we'll discuss it. If you know his name, send me an email and correct me. That's why I don't, I, you know, I don't always try to be 100% right. Because I want you guys to reach out and tell me. You know, we'll learn from each other. It's the whole point of this. Um, but there were two, people, two actors who played Riddler. There were three actors who played Mr. Freeze. Otto Preminger, who I believe was an actor and director. Uh, who else? Uh... Man, my, my my mind is drying up at the wrong time right now. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I'm going to have to come back to this. But in total, there were three actors who played Mr. Freeze. Uh, the one that stands out to me the most was Otto Preminger. Uh, because Otto Preminger was bald. Um, and he just, he looked the part. He had a great accent. I believe he was German. Uh, and in the first episode that he played, you know, technology at the time, his ray gun looked like a, like a fire extinguisher. So that was the freeze element of it. But back then, growing up as a kid, you know, it, we, my brother and I took it very seriously. We took that show very, very seriously. So... To me, he was my favorite Mr. Freeze because he just looked apart, particularly for that TV show. Ah, George Sanders. There you go. That is the other gentleman who played Mr. Freeze. George Sanders was great. He was a, a, um, a well-known actor back in the 60s. He just played Mr. Freeze with a bit more of like being an aristocrat. So... In, his, in one of his episodes, I believe he even has Batman and Robin at a dinner table where they're shining, he's shining like a heated lamp on them so they don't freeze in the room that he's in. And he's wearing like an ascot and he looks very sophisticated. The actor himself is very cool uh, in the role, but again, look at him, look at Otto Preminger. And the third actor was a gentleman 
who's better known for playing the villain in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly with Clint Eastwood. Uh, I'm going to say his name is, I think, Eli Wallach. I'm fairly confident. If I'm not, let me know. But Eli Wallach would play the third Mr. Freeze. And he was cool, but he was a bit more... He was probably the campiest one out of the three. But he had a great look. Um, he kind of looked like the Snow Miser from that, you know, from the uh, uh, that Christmas that holiday cartoon back in the, in the seventies, uh, the snow miser, I think his name is, uh, that's what he kind of reminded me of, but those were the Mr. Freeze of their time. Then you had the cat women, you had Julie Newmar, who was just stunning. You had Eartha Kitt who was beautiful. And she just, the way she played it was very different from what Julie Newmar did, particularly when she would accentuate her purrs and she moved very cat-like uh and then you had lee merriweather lee merriweather was not catwoman for very long i think she was maybe in a couple of episodes but i do know that there was a batman movie in 1966 where she played catwoman she was also great beautiful to look at definitely got the role down you know bob king created catwoman with the aesthetic that he always felt that that women in their femininity were very cat-like in their grace and their movement when they sat, when they were being seductive. And that was a big influence to him, which you, you look at the show and these, these women's costumes as cat women were unbelievable. So the show is, I mean, pop culture unto itself. Fantastic. Has stood the test of time, you know, just one of, of one of the very important uh, marks in Batman's timeline. That went on from 1966 to 1968. It shot for three seasons. In season three, they would incorporate Batgirl. They would bring her into the mix, who was the ever-so-beautiful Yvonne Craig, the first crush I've ever had in my life. She was just stunningly beautiful. She didn't really do much, Um in her fighting scenes, you can see that her fighting scenes are very choreographed. Like she would do like a like a kick line kick, you know, to a to a guy in his face. She would rarely throw a punch. Batman and Robin would always pick her up and kind of toss her around to one side of the room where she would kick that guy in the face. But aesthetically, she fit. She looked beautiful, and it was a dynamic, you know, for young girls to to enjoy and to watch the show. So. The show runs it, it runs its course in about 68, 69, goes into syndication. So from 1969 all the way up to 1989, there is nothing Batman-related other than the comic books. And in the comic books, things start to reflect the times. So the comic code kind of loosens up a little bit, and there are things that are beginning to be let into storylines one one of the people responsible for batman's evolution is a gentleman by the name of denny o'neill denny o'neill gave batman a very very heavy feel he's the man who pretty much focused on batman batman psychology on on how he operates why he operates on his loss on his quest for justice and this is a time where they focus on why Batman will never use a gun. 
and it's because his parents were murdered by a gun. So he would never, ever resort to that, ever, moving forward from this timeline in about the late 70s into early 80s. Batman becomes much more serious. His tone becomes much more um, hero-centric. He, you know, they, they, they focus on his, you know, great intellect and detective skills, on his physical skills. You know, we start meeting interesting characters like Rajal Ghul comes into play. <clears throat> Excuse me, the Scarecrow comes into play. We start, again, getting deeper villains into his rogues gallery. And in my opinion... Batman has the greatest rogues gallery of any superhero. That is not a debate. That is a fact. You find me one superhero whose rogues gallery is as consistent and as deep as Batman, then you, t- you take the cake. But in my opinion, it's him. And because of the richness of his villains, the stories become so much deeper and so much better. So that kind of goes through to about 1986 where everything changed everything changed at the hands of a man named frank miller who wrote a book called the dark knight returns that book is pretty much or at least the movie try to the movie batman versus superman try to make batman's character based off of this book this book pretty much takes place in uh, a not-too-distant future where Bruce Wayne is older. He is a bit more... He's not as reserved as he is. He's a little jaded. He, you know, his he feels as though, you know, maybe being Batman was a waste, not much has changed. He hadn't made the change that he hoped for. So there are things that happen in the book that he comes back, he decides to come back as an older Batman to fight this younger generation of criminals who are who have a very like cult like mentality. They're they're gangs and you know they're 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 groups of criminals that are trying to take over Gotham. So he decides that he's not gonna let that happen. He comes back at an older age, he starts whipping ass. The Joker comes back as well. You know, an old threat brings out the old hero. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. And it's in this book where he and Superman have what is considered their ultimate throwdown. The book is great. Excellent reviews across the board. People are like, wow, I never imagined Batman in this way. So Frank Miller ignited life into the character, which then was an inspiration to the film that changed everything, which was Batman, 1989. Directed by Tim Burton, originally wanting Alec Baldwin to play Bruce Wayne Batman. I don't remember why or what the circumstances were that Alec Baldwin could not be Batman, Uh, but Tim Burton had worked with him in a movie called Beetlejuice. He worked with him and Michael Keaton. So when he did Batman, he envisioned Alec Baldwin as Bruce Wayne, which I thought would have been awesome. Alec Baldwin, if you look at a picture of him in the 80s, he pretty much, he is Bruce Wayne. Circumstances prevail that he can't do it, so Tim Burton decides to go with Michael Keaton. At the time, there was a lot of pushback. A lot of people were like, 
Michael Keaton, that, when Mr. Mom, he did a movie called Mr. Mom where his wife goes to get a job and he raises a kid. You know, he raises the kids in the family and, and Beetlejuice? Like, that's Batman? I, I remember it clearly. That was probably the first time pushback was ever that aggressive. And he did it, man. I mean, he wasn't the greatest Bruce Wayne, but, you know, in that first scene where he grabs, you know, the, the two robbers on the roof and he grabs one guy, and he pulls him over the edge. And the guy's like, don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. Don't kill me. And he tells him, he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I want you to tell all your friends about me. And the guy's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Batman. And that was the shit. Everybody was loving it. Back in the 80s, Paraphernalia everywhere, shirts, hats, sneakers, notebooks, stickers, candy bars, everything had a bat logo. It was it was a his, literally a legit hysteria and it was everywhere. When that first trailer dropped and it showed Jack Nicholson as the Joker, I want to say with the exception of Star Wars, that was like the first summer blockbuster. Because Star Wars is part of a trilogy, and it's a summer blockbuster unto itself, at least in, in my opinion. Batman was a summer blockbuster, at least as a film and as a comic book movie. Huge numbers. The movie was great. It was a fun ride. It had my favorite Batmobile to date. That car is just absolutely beautiful. You know, it had a crappy Prince soundtrack, but the score... That theme that Danny Elfman made is to me as iconic as the James Bond theme, as the John Williams Superman theme. That is Batman's music. Now, it would change throughout the years, particularly with a guy called Hans Zimmerman, who also did a beautiful score. But to me, Danny Elfman, that theme is Batman's theme. The movie spawns an immediate sequel, Batman Returns, where they bring Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. She looked amazing. And Danny DeVito as the Penguin, and he looked, I thought he looked awesome. He looked grotesque. He just looked wrong, but that's Tim Burton's world. Tim Burton, he has a very specific design. So to me, it was brilliant. It was very Tim Burton for a Tim Burton film, which made me like Bruce Wayne more this time around because he was a Tim Burton Bruce Wayne. And Tim Burton's characters aren't very pretty or glamorous. They look very basic and normal to sometimes almost a point of being flawed. Like look at Edward Scissorhands, look at Beetlejuice. They look very, very unique. So it would stand to reason that his Bruce Wayne would be unique. So that's where I appreciated Michael Keaton. We move on to the third film, which I believe was supposed to be called Batman Triumphant. But then directors changed. Tim Burton pulled out Joel Schumacher, who had notoriety for the movie The Lost Boys about the teenage vampires in the 80s. That's like a cult classic. He came into play. So when he came in, Keaton pulled out. He said, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do this. So now it left the space open for another Batman. Val Kilmer was really hot off of Top Gun and a movie closer to that time called Tombstone. Tombstone was a cowboy movie about Wyatt Earp and the OK Corral, and he played Doc Holliday, who was Wyatt Earp's friend. He would now become the new Batman, and I thought Val Kilmer was great because he looked more like a legit Bruce Wayne. He was smooth and debonair. The suit took minor changes. In the original Batman, it looked very hard and plasticky. 
in the second one, it had like this retro kind of, I don't know, like metallic. If you look at his torso, it, it's different. It looks very Art Deco-y, but cool. Val Kilmer was a bit more sculpted, but the suit looked more flexible. So technology was beginning to, you know, be incorporated into the suits. He had more flexibility. The cape looked a lot softer. It was cool. They introduced Robin with Chris O'Donnell, Two-Face, Tommy Lee Jones, and the one who stole the movie, Jim Carrey's Riddler. Did huge numbers, and this film went campier. It was a lot brighter in contrast to... The first two Tim Burton films, a lot brighter. It was almost like watching a movie in an amusement park, you know, but it was fun for what it was. And then unfortunately, as as good as numbers as that film did, we got Batman and Robin, which is the film we don't talk about. So I'm going to make this really quick. Val Kilmer backs out. George Clooney, now the hottest boy in Hollywood, comes into play. I love George Clooney as an actor. I think you put George Clooney in in a different Batman movie as an older Bruce Wayne, he would be awesome. But in this film, it was absolute trash. They bring in Batgirl, who is Alicia Silverstone, the young young lady who worked in a movie Clueless. She's since then left Hollywood uh, because of the negative reviews of that film of Batman and Robin. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was completely wasted as Mr. Freeze. Because if you put Arnold Schwarzenegger in Tim Nolan's film as Mr. Freeze, and you give it, not Tim Nolan, I'm sorry. Uh, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name. Christopher Nolan. If you put Arnold Schwarzenegger in Christopher Nolan's film as Mr. Freeze, with the way those movies were grounded in reality, he's going to be a badass Mr. Freeze. But here, I mean, it, it was it was even admitted by people who were producers of the film that they just released this movie to make it look like a toy. They wanted to sell toys, and the movie suffers for it. So in my opinion, if you're going to watch the Batman films, watch Tim Burton, 89, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, then stop, and then you jump into the definitive Batman films, the Christopher Nolan trilogy. When those films came out, and I remember in 2003, they were talking about making another Batman film, and because of the trash that Batman and Robin was, I was like, oh, God, why bother? Just, if you're not going to do it right, leave it alone. But then they started talking about the cast, and they said that they hired Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox and Michael Caine as Alfred. And I'm like, wait, what, what? And then they said Gary Oldman as Lieutenant uh, uh, Lieutenant Gordon. And I'm like, yo, who is making this movie? Like, I was really excited. And then they cast Christian Bale. Unbelievable. Unbelievable Batman Begins. It's the Batman film that should have been, with all due respect to the Tim Burton movies, which I love for their style, it should have been that. And then I I you know I had to forego because of time constraints on the podcast. From nineteen ninety-two up until that present moment, there was a Batman animated series that was amazing. Till this day. That animated series stands the test of time because it has two people who are definitively the voices of these characters. One being Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of Batman, and two, Mark Hamill, who did the voice of the Joker, who is absolutely amazing. To me, the Joker's laugh 
belongs to Mark Hamill. That is the Joker's laugh forever over Jack Nicholson, over Joaquin Phoenix, who I absolutely loved in the Joker, over everyone. Mark Hamill's laugh as the Joker is the Joker's laugh, period. These animated series can be found on DC Universe. If you have the app, if not, I highly recommend purchasing them on on whatever streaming device you have. I mean, the series is a work of art unto itself and really great storylines. Other than some comic book related storylines that they touch on, it's just fantastic. But that's what kind of satiated everyone until the release of Batman Begins. And they did it right. They did Batman Begins right. Everything from the score to the costume to explaining why he knows martial arts to to explaining how he finds the cave. Everything. It was just, as a comic book fan, I walked out. I was like, damn, that's practically a masterpiece. And then the Dark Knight and Heath Ledger just grabbed that table that had all of Batman's history on it and flipped it over. And he stole the show, man. He, as the Joker, he literally took people's breath away because I remember when he came on screen, when he comes on screen in the film where all these gangsters are at a table talking about what they need to do, you know, because Batman is a problem, he just walks in and he's like, ha, 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 ha. And his magic trick with a pencil, you know, Unfortunately, Heath Ledger, you know, we also lost too soon, but he changed the game. He changed it. He changed it. He put the bar so high no one could reach. And that changed the dynamic of what would follow in um, the last film, which is The Dark Knight Rises. They had to introduce Bane, which was a side character, which was done, played by Tom Hardy, who I thought was phenomenal. And I love the fact that his face, you know, that he had to wear kind of like that gorilla gas mask, made him look like this huge gorilla. And, you know, he was kind of hard to understand, but it just, it, it was it was a testament to whatever he suffered facially. So I thought that was awesome. I loved it. it made him super imposing. And it followed the comic book of Nightfall, which is a storyline where Bane actually broke Batman's back. And somebody else had to take the mantle. Batman was out of commission for quite some time. Uh, somebody else picked up the mantle. And then Robin became Batman. The, the first Robin, Dick Grayson. So it was a storyline in the comics that went on for quite some time. And it was reflected here in the film. Now the film had to kind of wrap it up in two and a half hours. So it did not follow that storyline completely. But it was excellent. You know, it really was excellent. It was a great film. It stuck to the theme of the trilogy. And the ending to me, you know, they kind of allude to Robin. But the ending to me was absolutely beautiful. It it just was. I thought it was excellent. Like the last 10 minutes of The Dark Knight Rises literally closes the chapter on Christopher Nolan's Batman films, which are high on a shelf. They are not to be compared to anything else. Then the DC Universe, Cinematic Universe is created after the the incredible success of the Marvel films. And they had a lot of trouble out of the gate. You know, they really did. They had a lot of trouble out of the gate. Um, The Superman films were great. I'll I'll touch on that another time. I love Man of Steel, uh, which was their first film. 
which is like a retelling of Superman? I do. I thought it was so well done. Batman versus Superman, which was supposed to bring these two iconic characters together with Ben Affleck. And I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. To me, he was the best Batman. Christian Bale is in a class by himself. But Ben Affleck was the most accurate physical description. He was the most accurate looking Bruce Wayne. And for in terms of ferocity and the way he fought, that's Batman. If you look at that warehouse scene, you don't have to see the whole movie because it's a hard watch. It's very disappointing that they got so much wrong in that film. And I'm going to be doing my first legitimate movie review soon. And it may be that one. So you may want to listen in. Uh, but they just got so much wrong in something that could have been that that could have been a punch to to the mouth of Marvel. Like, oh, you have all these movies, you guys think you're bad? <clears throat> Take this, Batman versus Superman. And it could have gave Marvel a moment of pause and said, Wow, guys, we have competition. And and they failed miserably. They dropped the ball. At least in my opinion. They they dropped the ball. They really did. And I'll discuss that in a later time. To me, because of the of the poor criticism of that film, and then the way they rushed Justice League, you know, Batman's, Batman is now kind of on shaky ground in the cinematic universe. Justice League was rushed, Batman versus Superman didn't deliver, even though Batman was the best thing in Batman versus Superman. And in Justice League, he's kind of underused. You know, even if you look at Ben Affleck, he 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 looks like he's a little bit out of shape. And I believe that's when he was going through his alcohol problems before he went into Alcoholics Anonymous because he just he looks like a little doughier. He doesn't look as sculpted as he did in Batman versus Superman. So you could tell that there was like a fall off in terms of commitment. And also they had to bring the actors back in to do reshoots for Justice League. So now. That, up until this point, is the end of Batman's cinematic universe. Up until a couple of weeks ago, where the trailer dropped for Matt Reeves' The Batman film, starring Robert Pattinson. My hopes are high. My hopes are real high that this movie does great. If you have not seen the trailer, see it. It looks incredibly promising. You know, Robert Pattinson got a lot of shit because he was in the Twilight movies. Oh, what is he going to do? Is he going to sparkle like Batman? You know, oh, what is Ella going to be Catwoman or whatever? I never read those books. So I don't know. I don't know those characters names, but I know the kid is a great actor. Um, I've seen some of his films. A standout to me was a movie called The Lighthouse that he he's in it with William Dafoe. Very artsy movie, but he's tested there as an actor because it's just two people on film. So he can't lean on other people or his performances can't lean on other people. It's just him and another actor. And that's hard. And he pulled it off. He pulled it off aces. He's coming out in Tenet with um, Denzel Washington's son, who I believe is uh, his, his name is John Washington, if I'm not mistaken. And it's directed by Christopher Nolan. And Christopher Nolan himself, when they were casting Batman, gave his blessing to Matt Reeves. He said, if you're going to cast someone, you might want to talk to this kid. And lo and behold, he's now Batman. So go check out that trailer. And let's see what lies ahead for the Dark Knight, man. Because that's my that's my dude. 
Batman is my guy, you know. My friends who know me and love me, they know. And I will forever have a love for the Dark Knight. What I can recommend in terms of reading, if you want to see the richness of his comic book history, I strongly recommend The Dark Knight Returns. My favorite Batman story of all time is a book called Batman the Killing Joke. If you want to see the dynamic between him and the Joker and why they hate each other so much and possibly the greatest story ever told between the two of them, The Killing Joke, for sure. A more modern take on a Batman story from a couple of years ago is a book called Hush. Um, a really great storyline. Also, uh, it's it's illustrated by one of my favorite artists of all time, a gentleman by the name of Jim Lee. You may want to check that book out as well. Batman The Long Halloween, one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. Uh, you could get these in graphic novels, or you could download them uh, off of a, a website called Comixology. Uh, so you could see digitally on your phone or on your iPad. Um, Batman The Long Halloween and Batman Dark Victory, they're, they're books that uh, I believe are connected to one another. The art in those books is also incredible. And these books focus more, again, on Batman's detective skills. And if I'm not mistaken, this upcoming film, The Batman, that has... Catwoman, the Penguin, and the Riddler as the primary villains is kind of a take on Batman The Long Halloween. So if you read that book, you're going to kind of get a feel and a tone for what you're going to walk into. Or you could read them after and, and see how they compare. But those are, those are probably going to be my top recommended books and reading material if you want to know more about Batman and how he influenced cinema and the superhero genre and how he helped catapult that into what Marvel is now. Because if you think about it, from the 80s, there was only the Superman and the Batman film. Christopher Reeve, Superman, Michael Keaton, Batman. We had no Spider-Man, Captain America, Hulk, Wolverine. We had none of those guys. So they were the ones cinematically to set it off. This upcoming film is going to be huge, and I cannot wait to see it. If you guys have any questions or if you kind of want to discuss Batman further, let me know. I'll be happy to touch on other subjects, other storylines, uh, his impact on video games. Uh, his The Batman video games on the PlayStation and the Xbox are works of art come to life. They're beautiful games. These are people who love the character that are that are creating these games, and they're doing it right. They really are. But if you have uh, any more questions or any more concerns, let me know. Uh, not so much concerns, but you know what I mean. If you have any questions or if you're curious about something about Batman, let me know, guys. But that is our time. As much as I love talking about superheroes, this is as far as we go today. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of superhero showcase we will continue this uh as a monthly series so again guys you want to hear me talk about somebody specific your favorite superhero drop me a line let me know my email so have you seen one at gmail.com the number one so have you seen one at gmail.com as always please take care of yourselves guys be safe wash your hands wear your masks be good to one another 
And I will see you next Sunday. Thank you for joining me. And until then, bye-bye.